I mean, it's that sound. Can you turn the fan off? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So we've replaced crickets and birds with squeaky fans. That one particular fan is squeaky. That was a motorcycle. Good morning, and welcome to episode 265 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, uh, joined as always by Sam Miller, I believe, in his kitchen today. Uh, It's Wednesday, so this is the listener email show. We received quite a few emails, and uh, mostly Sam has picked out some for us to answer. Uh, So we're going to do that now. Before we start, I had uh, one quick question that I meant to ask yesterday because we were talking about the Tigers, and I had just watched the Jose Iglesias play about 12 times. Uh, Where where does that rank on your on your I guess web gem scale? Because we've we've disagreed before about the impressiveness of of defensive plays. Uh, I remember we argued about the Victor Martinez flip earlier this year and whether that was an impressive play. Um, yeah, I think I think generally if there's a dividing line between us, it's usually uh, I'm less impressed by unusual throws. I find uh-huh. that humans have a great a great capacity to to project uh, objects in a given direction. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's, even even under crazy. So that's I mean, why I person, wondered about this particular play because exactly, there was right. a crazy I mean, throw. When you're, I think when you're a kid and you're, you have limited space, but you do have like a lot of socks and a hamper, you get very, or, you know, a Nerf basketball hoop or whatever you, you know, you get creative and you get very used to throwing from all sorts of angles and, uh, with all sorts of different motions. And, uh, you know, like, like I think I said at the time with Victor Martinez, it's not that he makes that, that play every time. It's not an easy play. But I think that, you know, that that a lot of guys would make it, you know, maybe one out of ten times or one out of six times. Now, I didn't have time to, to necessarily, like, really study the physics of Iglesias' play, mm-hmm. but it seemed to me very legitimate. Like, I, I think to they, me, that was I, I particularly physics, I, I would say that I would agree with that. To me, <laughs> yes. uh, to make the, to, to be able to throw from that angle that quickly and to make the ball do, you know, what it did um, seems very impressive, especially because that's not any sort of a thing that you would ever, well, I guess not especially, but in addition, uh, that's not a play you, uh, a type of throw you would ever throw. So it kind of reminds me of like when when I was a teenager and I golfed a lot and you'd, uh, you'd try to do sort of like Phil Mickelson shots in practice, but then the thing about Phil Mickelson is that he would make these kind of incredible shots that he had never practiced just because he had to. And it sort of felt like that. It was just this, you know, wonderful creativity that he just had in him. So I liked it. Agreed. Okay. Uh, what have you picked out for us today? So a couple of weeks ago, maybe somebody accused our uh, listeners of trolling us with some <laughs> yes. of these questions. That's exactly uh, what I thought of when, when I read the email that you're about to read. <laughs> well, I'm going to read four of them, in fact. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Because now I'm on guard for this. Now I don't. I don't think he was. I don't think that he was right. I don't think we've ever been trolled. However, either, but, but this there we have an interesting slate of, of questions this week, and so I want to just go over the four kind of ones that this guy would claim are trolling, mm-hmm. and we'll just decide which of the four merit discussion, and we can we can answer none of them or all four of them. It's up 
to us. Yeah. Um, we're in control of this show, after all. Uh-huh. And if it, do, it doesn't, basically, it doesn't really matter if it's trolling if we like it. So, <laughs> uh, so all right. So the four questions. One is, um, all right. So so one is uh, from Eric Hartman. And he writes simply, so I woke up and had this written in a note. What if baseballs were half the size? Uh, <laughs> so that's that's one. Uh, one is from Steven, who suggests that um, my thought is this. In center field, there should be a little house in which each team hires an elderly man or woman to inhabit for the game. Should there be a ground rule double, the outfielder has to go to the house, knock on the door and ask the said occupant for the ball, for the ball back. I call this sandlot rules. Uh, one is from Emma who uh, wants us to shoot down her boyfriend's question. This is my favorite because of which is how she framed the email. Uh, which I imagine that we'll probably we'll probably get to this. So I won't read the whole email, but her email is basically baseball on ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, her boyfriend's great idea for baseball, I should say, is baseball on ice. And the last one is from uh, podcast legend Carmen C, who said asks about uh, what it would be like if baseball were counterclockwise rather than or uh, pardon me clockwise rather than counterclockwise, with third base being first and first base being third. And so I wanted to know, um, of the four, do you think that, uh, which ones do you think uh, deserve to be taken seriously? And I will start by saying that uh, I think Carmen C's is, 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 is obviously a good question that um, does bring up some interesting questions about, you know, baseball in general. So I'm yeah. going to just, I'll, I'll immediately throw my support behind that one. What do you think okay. of the other three? Uh, I think we can probably dispense with the Sandlot rules question yes. as much as Thank I enjoyed you. it. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> I I might say the same about baseball and ice, except I enjoyed the email so much that I kind of want us to read it. Um, and as for Eric's question, uh, <laughs> well, uh, we know Eric is is not a troll. I have met yeah. Eric. He is a very pleasant person. Um, I'm not sure that we would have that much to say about it, right? Except it would be much harder <laughs> to play. And yeah, there, there'd be a lot more. You'd think there'd be a lot more strikeouts. Yeah. That depending on the composition of the ball, you would expect it to travel a lot further. Yeah. Um, and the, and the could, real question could throw is it faster, right? You could so throw it a lot. You yeah, would, a lot faster. That but the coupled with the is, fact that it's half the size. Uh, but you would lose the spin, right? I mean, I'm getting mm-hmm. if it's half the size, I think that every pitch would basically be you'd have too much. I would. I don't know. I think unless you were throwing knuckleballs, I think it would be too hard to 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 really manipulate. It feels to me like a baseball is the perfect size for spin manipulation, but it might be. The reason I don't want to answer that one is because I, I think that I would want to ask a pitcher who actually really has intimate knowledge of where spin comes from and how you impart it and is sort of in in touch with the ball and one with the ball mm-hmm. to answer that. I don't think we could answer it because that's the yep. interesting question about that to me is the spin factor and, and i'm not qualified so let's skip that one for now okay uh all right so all right. emma's question yeah is um uh he has a dumb idea my boyfriend has a dumb idea for extreme baseball that he won't shut up about i'm covertly writing you uh on the chance that you might tell him how dumb it is like 
that's a you, you, this is risky. Uh, but baseball on ice, everything is played normally, but the players wear big spikes so as to not lose their footing. After a few innings, the rink would be so roughed up from the spikes, the ball would be taking crazy hops all over the place. I guess at the very least, the slides would be funny. Uh, still, this is the dumbest of dumb ideas, and I'm tired of hearing about it. I don't think that the ball would be taking crazy hops. I don't think that you would have anything resembling uh, the normal hops that the ball takes. And so for the most part, I think that you would see um, – uh, I don't think that the bad hops would be the problem personally. Uh, no. I mean you could get some some gouges in the ice. I mean I think uh, – I think a Zamboni would be a, an excellent addition to baseball. I would fully mm-hmm. support that um, as a, a longtime fan of Zambonis, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't see this one having having legs. Well, but so uh, tennis is played on radically different surfaces. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And golf is played on radically different surfaces to some degree. Uh, you know, if you look at. I mean, not not to a great degree, but, you know, like the British links are radically different than, you know, Augusta. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you have different textures within a golf course uh, that are radically different. So I guess it's not totally implausible that you would have a different surface type of field and that some guys might uh, thrive on that. I mean, it's it it seems implausible. Uh, certainly, it's not uh, scalable mm-hmm. in the way that, um, you know. Uh, uh, grass is scalable or fake grass um but uh you know i wouldn't dismiss it out of hand i I don't know that i i i I don't know i don't know (laughs) Um, you would you wouldn't have the i don't think you could i don't think you could probably if you're wearing big spikes i don't think you could have the speed necessary to uh to field balls and so i think it would just basically be uh too offensive driven that's what i would Yeah, well, I don't know. Could you get uh, could you get leverage at the plate if you're on on skates or spikes? Yeah. I, maybe I guess. Yeah, I think you could if you have your back foot planted. That's probably the the easiest place to get leverage. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. There do was... we do we agree with Emma though? Is this her boyfriend should feel ashamed of himself? <laughs> do, do you feel that way? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, have you se- have you ever seen an example of extreme baseball? Because there is an example of extreme baseball that Dustin Parks once brought to my attention. I don't um, think so. Extreme baseball. It, it's actually I think it's called like the Extreme Baseball League, and it you have, as I recall, you have a both a left-handed batter and a right-handed batter batting at the same time, and then they run in opposite directions, and like there's two pitches. The two pitches come at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the extreme part of it. There's two balls. There's at, at any given point, there's two balls live at the same time. Mm. Uh, and there was this news story about it and people talking about how awesome it was. And they were like, kind of sort of like semi pro type types trying to get a foot, <laughs> a foot in baseball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking of an article Brian Phillips wrote for Grantland about court surfaces in tennis and how, they're manipulated to produce a faster or slower game and uh, what the analog would be in baseball. And, and you wrote about uh, like how Petco has a slow infield, right? Um, I didn't conclude it was slow, okay. but they have an infield that suppresses ground balls to a great degree consistently uh-huh. from year to year. Okay, uh, possibly because of the way the, the grass is groomed or something of that nature. And we've, 
heard stories about, uh, I don't know, like teams that are, um, well, you know, watering down the base paths if they don't have a lot of speed to slow down the opposing team or letting the grass grow high if they have a bunch of ground ballers or or doing something with the foul lines to affect bunts and and that sort of thing. Um, And, of course, there's there's AstroTurf and uh, things that can make the, the ball bounce higher and faster and all those things, but I guess would not have quite as much of an impact as, uh, as in a sport like tennis where the ball bounces on every, every interaction or that's the, that's the whole game is the ball bouncing all the time. Um, which is maybe not, not something that happens as regularly in baseball. Uh, all right. So this one's quick. This one is from Brian. If a player is DFA'd, refuses assignment, and signs as a free agent with another club, who pays the player what? Mark Reynolds was just released by the Indians. If another club signs him, is he still owed the entire $6 million the Indians signed him for, or does he get a prorated amount from Cleveland and then whatever he agrees to sign for from his new club? Uh, I, I've i always known this answer, but you can correct me if what I've known is, is incorrect. But um, my understanding is that a player who then uh, who's released and then signs with a new team gets the minimum from his new team, mm-hmm. and his club is responsible for everything but the minimum uh, of the previously owed salary um, <clears throat> in perpetuity. So um, you kind of would prefer that your guys released get re-signed because you save a few bucks, mm-hmm. but uh, there's no hope that like Reynolds is going to go sign for three million with Pittsburgh. And then you know Cleveland only has to pay you know th- half of the six million or whatever. It's you're you're stuck with you're stuck with everything but the minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guaranteed contracts can be kind of a pain sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's see. Tim asks: uh, This season, there is a good chance that every team in the NL with a winning record will make the playoffs. This has never happened before in the wild card era. The closest was in 1997 in the American League. And it's highly unlikely that it ever occurred in previous eras. Well, it's virtually impossible that it ever occurred in previous eras when fewer teams made the playoffs. Obviously, this is a direct result of having an extra wild card in each league. It's also a direct result, I would guess, of having one fewer team in the National League. But uh, anyway, however, do you think having more teams with a shot at the playoffs is suppressing the overall win-loss records for all teams? thus leading to fewer teams with winning records. And this is interesting, and I'm going to let you go for a while because I want to look something up real quick. But um, I always think of it as I, – I always thought the extra wild card or, or kind of the general parity would, would have the reverse effect where you'd have more teams winning 85 games and fewer teams winning 105 mm. um, because you don't need to win 105. Basically, once you get past 90 or whatever, it's sort of diminishing returns. Um, so it – this, if if this were the reason, what Tim suggests, it would be counterintuitive to my mind. What do you What do you think? Uh, yeah, that I, I guess I would have I would have probably agreed with with the way you were thinking about it. Um, so how does this tie into? To, does this tie into what we were we've talked about with uh, parity and and rich or wealthy teams not not winning more at all? Do you think? Well, it's not parody though. I mean, what what he's describing is the opposite of parody. What I mean, what he's describing is that there's like kind of a an a, a small upper class of teams that in the National League that are significantly better than everyone else. If 
If, right now, the way that it would work is the Diamondbacks are like a, a couple games over 500, so they need to get below 500, and then the Nationals are currently three games under 500. They need to stay below 500 in order for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And if that were the case, you'd have basically the Braves are on pace to win about 97, the Pirates are on pace to win 96, the Dodgers are on pace to win 94 or so, and we'll probably end up winning 115. <laughs> uh, the Cardinals are on pace to win, uh, it looks like, I don't know, 90-some. 90, 90 and, um, oh, actually, uh, yeah, and then you have the Reds, who would be uh, the worst playoff team, and they would be on pace to win 91. So um, you basically would have no teams winning between 81 and 90 games. Mm. And yeah. so that's the, that's the opposite of parity, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you're, what, what you're describing is no teams that are average or slightly above average. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, so it's, there's, well, so Russell Carlton was, was pointing this out to me the other day with the American League. Uh, so I, Tim is talking about the NL Russell was talking about the AL and how there are just about no 500 teams. There's no one really in the middle, which is, I guess, similar to what Tim is saying, right? There's the there are the Yankees who are 61 and 57, uh, yeah. and then pretty much everyone else is like five. I mean, there's there's that's true. Yeah, there, there's a there's a big gap between kind of the the have wins and the yeah, it's Not the double. exact opposite. The the best under 500 team is the Mariners, and they're on a 75 win pace. So mm-hmm. it's almost the exact reverse. Yeah. Uh, where you, yeah, that's interesting. You have the ex- the same thing happening. Although I guess you don't see quite the underclass there. As you you don't see the the equivalent underclass in the AL as the uh, overclass or the upper class or whatever in the in the NL. Mm-hmm. There's only really one 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 god awful team. The White Sox are getting there. They're getting there. That's true. Um, so do you have a theory? I don't have a theory. I mean, clearly, so I, I guess as a as like a, as a fun fact or as an anomaly, yeah, the White Sox are already there. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as an anomaly, it's a quirk. It's, it's you know, the, 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 um, the sort of trivia part of it, the, the fact that all 500 teams might make the playoffs – it's just a quirk because like the 1997 season that he describes, if there was an extra wild card that year, it would have happened. And, you know, I don't think there was any particular trend that we see having developed since then. I mean, the American League since then has gotten much better and there are always more 500 plus teams than in the NL since then. Um, so putting aside the trivia, the gaps, I don't know. It's I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know that I, I don't I don't think that the theory that more teams have a shot at the playoffs is would make sense in the NL. Now it might make sense in the AL if that's all we were talking about, but we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could just could just be a, a one year blip. I mean, it does make sense in the AL. What we're seeing in the AL does make sense because you saw like the Indians and the Royals. In particular, and maybe you know, basically those two teams in particular are classic teams that were going to be probably just around 500 or a little bit below 500. Decided that you know they had a real shot, and so they went kind of a little bit crazy this off season in a way that I'm not sure they would have in a um, you know in a in a different year. So mm-hmm. that's partly because of the wild card, and it's partly just because we've seen so many teams come out of nowhere. 
So that kind of does, I mean, you've probably, you've maybe lost two teams there that you would have expected to be around 77, 78, 79 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, those teams could have outperformed or underperformed and not been in that range anyway. It's, it is, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I'm glad that they both noticed it. Russell and Tim noticed it. Mm-hmm. I'd like to come up with a better answer than we have. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, maybe one of us will, will write about it after thinking about it more. Okay. All right. So now we're going to go to Carmen C's question. Um, and his question came out of a, uh, do you know how, what is it? Kotaku? That's like the, yeah, Kotaku, yeah. the, vid, the video game blog, uh-huh. the, the, the gaming, the gaming site. Yes. Gawker's. Is that part of Gawker's Gawker Media? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good site. So they did it. What's that? Good site. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so they had a post that you might have seen a while ago in which did, they yeah. uh, attempted to see what would happen if you put a left-handed throwing player at a right-handed position, second base, third base, shortstop, or catcher. And as I recall, the game wouldn't let you? Yeah, uh, or at least the, the more realistic game wouldn't let you uh, because there was just no no animation made for a player throwing from that handedness at, at that position or whatever. It just hadn't been, hadn't been modeled by the developers because those players don't exist. So uh, Carmen writes, it got me thinking, what if the game of baseball operated under the same rules, except that the bases were laid out clockwise instead of counterclockwise? Would it be as simple as just that one rule change, or would the natural abundance of righties in our culture lead to a slightly different game? I don't just mean for the flipping of the defensive positions or throwing, since that seems like something anyone could easily learn with enough reps. Would the game be slightly boosted offensively, with all the right-handed batters already a step closer to first base? Would there be less base stealing because of all the right-handed pitchers facing first base and more box called? Would we actually see left-handed throwing catchers? Would we see any fundamental change to pitching as a whole? Thanks for reading my question. Mm-hmm. Um, and this uh, did kind of make me realize, maybe for the first time, that is baseball the only sport that's not symmetrical? <clears throat> uh where you have players of a certain handedness who can't play certain positions or are at a big disadvantage at the no, or? just 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 that in general the play doesn't move back and forth symmetrically. Mm. It, it's I, I'm I'm I can't think of a sport where the I get well besides golf, which is like nonlinear or whatever. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's multidimensional. Uh, but I can't think of a sport that is played on a contained field where, that isn't symmetrical. That doesn't go back and forth. You know. Yeah. Like. That's kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I noticed that. Now everybody has noticed that. Um, the um, yeah. So do, what do you think? <laughs> uh, so you. So I'm, I'm trying to think through the implications of the the platoon thing. Uh, so so I, I mean I guess obviously the the positions where you have prohibitions against players of certain handedness playing would just be switched, I guess. They'd just I, be reversed. No I, or... I, I, no, I don't think you could have prohibitions. There's not enough lefties in the world. So mm. I think that you would have, I think you'd have righties at every position. Huh. Um, and you just have to deal with that. that. Lefties would have the advantage. It's interesting because you, you've seen in a couple of different ways where baseball has probably organically developed advantages for certain handedness. The positions obviously advantage right uh, right-handers because uh, as a right-hander you can play any position. Mm. Um, pitching advantages 
left-handers because uh, probably because uh, batters don't get to see enough reps against mm-hmm. you growing up. Yeah, you're rare. Um, and hitting advantages left-handers because you're five feet closer to the plate and your momentum or to the to the first base and your momentum is taking you there. So mm-hmm. um, that all would be switched. But it's not just a matter of. I mean, you could not. You could never fill. I don't think you could ever fill a field with left-handers at five positions. No. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you'd. You'd have, uh, I, I mean, you'd you'd maybe select more of them because there are fewer, or there are more possibilities for each of them. To, but there are just fewer of them to go around. Uh, so so you'd have uh, so since lefties would have the defensive advantage at all those positions, I think that you would see a lot more lefties yeah. held there, which means that you would have a lot. Fewer left-handed pitchers, because I mean, one reason that you, one reason that Bill James theory, as I recall, that there's no left-handed catchers is that it's because anybody, any lefty with an arm, gets turned into a pitcher right away. Um, you, you wouldn't have that. You, you would have lefties playing, you know, second base and first base and, um, you know, all those positions, shortstop, and um, so with fewer lefties pitching uh right-handers would get a would now have like a huge advantage right because they'd have the platoon advantage well no they wouldn't have the platoon advantage right-handed hitters would almost never get the platoon advantage because virtually all the pitchers i would guess would be right-handed mm. so you'd have almost all right-handed batters against right-handed pit, or sorry almost all right-handed pitchers and so then lefty left-handed batters would now have not only the positional edge because they would have the defensive edge at uh, you know the defensive flexibility to play any position, but they would also have the platoon advantage a significant portion of the time. They, so, but they wouldn't have the running to first base advantage. But they wouldn't have the running to first base advantage, which That's is true. I don't, I don't know how much of an advantage that is. Uh, it's big. It's, don't it's you think pretty, it's big? It's pretty big. I mean, it, it's just, it's just an infield hit advantage, I guess. Right? It doesn't lead to to extra bases, or well, it might, I guess. Uh, right. Sure. sure, it does. Yeah. Okay. You're so, five feet closer. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. Yeah. That seems like a pretty sizable advantage, but I would guess that it wouldn't outweigh the platoon oh, advantage. So, yeah. No, it so, would pale in comparison yes. to the platoon advantage. Mm-hmm. So basically, all of your your uh, lefties would be your best defenders and your best hitters. Mm-hmm. It would be a it would be a a lefty ruled world. It would be like how lefty pitchers are completely overvalued now, except they would be properly overly valued. <laughs> and so then the question is how many lefties can you add before you then water down the the, the pool of lefty talent, right? Because there are fewer yeah. lefties to to be had out there. Um hmm. but if your righties are kind of sort of slightly worthless then all the righties would be trained to be pitchers. Uh-huh. And then, the and then few you'd, have, lefties, you'd have well, well you'd have better pitchers then. And if you had all these counter the platoon advantage. It would or the few lefties who actually did go into pitching would be uh, would would be like dominant because you'd almost never at that point you'd almost never see a left-handed pitcher. So you would have a huge kind of quirk advantage. And um, you'd have a you'd have lefty dominated lineups most of the time. Mm-hmm. Although maybe just maybe maybe everybody would switch hit. 
<laughs> Maybe you just uh, see a, a much higher percentage of switch hitters. Yeah, I don't know how many people have that innate. Or maybe you would have never. Maybe you would almost never because there'd be so few left-handed pitchers it wouldn't be worthwhile. Maybe everybody would just grow up batting left-handed. Hmm. I don't know. So these would be pretty pretty sweeping changes over He's, over time. I guess not immediately, but uh, over over a decade or so, I guess you'd see a pretty dramatic demographic change. Uh We've had multiple questions related to this. I think this is the best, the most sort of tightly condensed one, and I like it because it lays out the, it lays out a lot of the, the issues that would come up. But this is something that a lot of people apparently think about or simply want to trick us into answering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 do you think that any thought went into this when the rules of, of baseball were formed, or was it just a natural, we do things clockwise, so we'll run clockwise? Don't they the don't history. run clockwise. Well, it doesn't run clockwise. Well, it runs counterclockwise. Right, right, right. So, do you think there is? So why would it? What? It's the every game moves clockwise too. If you're playing bridge or whatever, you move clockwise. So, so I do wonder you think why. There was consideration given to these factors that we're talking about because the game was so different then. I mean, pitchers weren't even trying to to get hitters out really. That's uh, right. That there time, was, there so. was no no thought whatsoever of platoon <laughs> advantage. I yeah. do you think it was just simply that almost everybody was right-handed and it made the throw to first easier? That it seemed natural to throw in that direction? Seems plausible. We should we should ask John Thorne or, or someone who would know. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Do you have any more? Uh, no, I, I think I'm good. Can we... Oh, wait. Let me check. Let me double check. Uh, uh, well, I would... Yeah, no, I don't think I can answer that one. Uh, I don't know. You want to? I wanted to go ahead with just, your one. Just James's question about managers. Uh, he said it seems to me that a lot of tactical decisions that a manager makes during a game are generally considered to be low or even negative value moves. I'm speaking of things like giving out intentional walks, ordering sacrifice bunts, hit and run plays, and other such calls from the dugout. My question to you is this. Do managers add any in-game value through the plays that they call, or would baseball teams perform better if the manager limited himself to simply deciding who takes the field and just let the players play? Uh, so this, this reminded me of a recent thing. I think it was in a Bill James mailbag on Bill James Online where he talked about whether pinch running makes sense, and his conclusion is, is that I think it, it almost never does. Um, because the the increased odds of that runner scoring, he thinks, are are minimal, like single digit percentage. Now, I, there there could be exceptions to that, but he seems to think that's the general rule, and that in a close game, the the risk that uh, that hitter spot will come up again, and you will lose the better bat in the lineup, almost always clearly outweighs the the advantage that you get by pinch running. Um, yeah, I when I when I did that that kind of experiment with Billy Hamilton last year. Yeah. I was I was shocked by how little Billy Hamilton could add as a pinch runner, even assuming that he ran every single time at a very high rate of success. Mm-hmm. Still very, very small. Yeah. Uh so so it, it I mean a lot of these things do seem counterproductive. Intentional walks, uh I guess bunts have been rehabilitated to some extent with with the focus on game theory and uh, how sometimes bunts make sense, even if even if the run expectancy table tells you that they don't. 
Um, but even so, probably still overused. Uh, and the manager maybe is is responsible for the way that bullpens are structured and the way that rosters are broken down between batters and pitchers. And that's another Bill James thing that we've talked about, I think, that uh, that the, the lefty situational guy is is way overused and doesn't help a team as much as a bench player would. And then I think maybe managers don't always consider the pinch hit penalty enough when they're deciding how much of an advantage pinch hitting imparts. So there are a lot of these things that I think you could maybe make an argument that and pitch outs, right? We talked about pitch outs when we were when we were completely desperate for topics. We did an entire podcast on pitch outs. Wait, I wrote an entire article about it. What are you saying well, about my article? Uh, well, the podcast was uh, partially extraneous because you had written that article is, is what makes it, uh, I think, less less forgivable that we did that. But um, so pitch outs, you, you found on the whole, don't make a, a whole lot of sense either. So I think there are a, a lot of these things that you that you could make that argument that maybe just not doing them ever would be better than the amount that they are currently done um so you i mean you do need a manager to make certain moves right i mean you'd need a manager to make bullpen moves or you'd just get the biggest and fastest reliever would just sprint in before all the other relievers because he wants the ball and everyone wants the ball so you but, but arguably the pitching coach could do that as well well you know. okay yeah sure i mean Ar- i mean arguably the pitching coach already does a lot of the time you know that at least provides counsel and might mm-hmm. provide better counsel than the manager, you know, manager's ultimate decision. We don't, we don't really know that, but mm-hmm. it's possible. Yeah. Uh, right. Although that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of giving a, a task that's traditionally assigned to the manager just to someone else who's just yeah. doing the same thing, maybe better. Yeah. That's the point. Well, I think the point is just no one, no one making any moves. It's not delegating it. It's just letting the players play. Although to some extent, you you just have to make certain moves just to to have players in the game. Uh, so there there's an unavoidable amount of of strategy and tactics that that have to be deployed. But but on the whole, uh, I mean, when I I did a I did a, a story on uh, front offices and coaching staffs and. And I pulled some front office people to ask them how many wins a year they think the the manager costs their team through suboptimal tactics. And I forget what the average was, something like three wins, I think, maybe. Um, but the consensus does seem to be that uh, that a bad manager can cost his team more tactically than a good manager can help his team, right? So it sort of suggests that maybe if if managers limited themselves it it might be better on the whole do you do you think that that's a defensible statement if they limited yeah, well, themselves to the bare minimum of of player substitutions when a guy is is tired or or you know i mean matchups are important and i don't know any way to get away from someone someone dictating that but but otherwise, yeah, well, we all we all have to write a couple of manager comments a year for the for the <laughs> annual, and it, it does feel to me like the the default in all of these is to say this manager, you know, it's hard to say what he does, but at least he doesn't 
do a lot of this. At least he doesn't do a lot of that. I mean, we tend to judge almost all of these managers kindly when they don't act. I, when I did the pitch outs piece, uh, and I found that every manager but one had cost his team runs by pitching out last year, mm-hmm. uh, the two managers at the very, very, very bottom who had called the fewest pitch outs, I think one had called two and one had called four uh, all year, were Joe Madden and Davey Johnson, who might be uh-huh. <laughs> the two kind of consensus that heady best managers going mm-hmm. um so yeah i think generally speaking there's uh there's a danger when you give somebody a, a three-hour job that only takes 10 minutes <laughs> that he'll find more things to do <laughs> yeah so, sure because you always want to look like you're working hard and, and... T- time to lean time to clean that's what that's what mike social always says <laughs> right so yeah so there's something to that i think um Okay, so I guess we're finished for today. Uh, as always, you can send us more questions at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, one of our listener emailers this week, Daryl, mentioned that he had subscribed to Baseball Prospectus because of the podcast. We appreciate that, and we hope that more of you will do that. And if some of you have done that, please tell us because it, it makes us happy uh, if, we're, if we're introducing people to the site. And uh, you can join our Facebook group through the, the blog post at BP and rate and review us on iTunes. And we will be back tomorrow with regular topics.